Thank you very much. Wasn't that a blessing? 
Thank you very much. That acoustic sound is music to my ears. Thank you so much for that. At this time, we'll dismiss the toddlers and all those uh, preparing for the children's Christmas program. We'll let you slip out right now. And uh, one other announcement that Chris wanted me to make sure I mentioned is that tonight we will have a brief business meeting. So if uh, we could have the good representation of our church membership out this evening, we sure would appreciate that. So that'll be tonight as a part of our service. Not a full business meeting, just an item of business we want to deal with tonight. So please come out for that. And uh, thanks for praying for my family. They're heading out uh, probably in the, uh, probably getting close to getting in the air right now. Uh, from Florida, had a, a week, uh, six days, five days or so down in Florida with Lisa's family. And uh, they're coming back home to uh, a little different climate than when they left. So that's okay. We got the boiler going, and Ranger and I kept the house pretty clean. Um, and uh, I think it'll be a, a good welcome home this evening. Would you take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 17 with me this morning? In this passage, we f- we find much to s- that Lord Jesus has to teach us and record for us about servanthood. And as we read through this we come to this, after a couple of parables and teachings, we come to an actual event, a scene which probably didn't take place chronologically the way Luke has it arranged. And not all the gospel writers wanted to necessarily do just a chronological appearance of he did this and then he did this and then after that was this. Luke is trying to present the gospel to a Roman official named Theophilus in an orderly way for him to get a full grasp of what the Christian message is all about. So Luke's not as concerned about when events occur as much as how they can help this Roman official understand what Christianity is all about. And so we have um, some warnings, a parable, and then an event with these ten lepers in our story. And it all kind of climaxes with this idea of gratitude. And uh, so we'll take a look at that. I think I'm up a little bit high. How's that sound? A little too much feedback? That sound okay now? Thanks, Bing. Sounds great. So let's take a look at Luke 17. Luke was a doctor. Um, he was the beloved physician. Uh, he uses medical terms whenever it fits. Uh, when Jesus talked about go- a camel going through the eye of a needle, uh, the other gospel writers used the regular term for a sewing needle. Uh, Luke used the surgical surgeon's needle. When he talked about that, that's interesting. So we, we see some hints about his uh, medical background um, and certainly a beloved servant of the Lord. You know, when you think about it, service and gratitude do seem to go together pretty well. A person who doesn't have a servant's heart may struggle with being thankful, may struggle with gratitude. A person, for example, who expects to be served, expects to be the head honcho, the boss, the supervisor, kind of likes that. Uh, may generally find it hard to be grateful to those, especially those that are beneath him or her. Uh, But a leader who has a humble servant's kind of a heart, um, willing to do whatever it takes, even if um, I think somebody else should do it, you know, is willing to do those kind of things, generally will find it easier to be grateful. And I find this in the lives of unbelievers as well as believers. Uh, They're unbelievers who really do have what I would call uh, a humble servant's attitude uh, in the workplace, in their family, in their community. Um, and the generally those people tend to be a little more joyful, 
tend to have a little more uh, ability to recognize and appreciate good things and to maybe even be really good at sending thank you notes. But it doesn't mean that uh, if you know you don't send thank you notes or if, if you're not always you know writing it all down, sending a thank you note, that you're not a thankful person. I think the point of this story we're going to look at today is that gratitude will be there if I first have a servant's heart. And so in this passage today, we'll really begin at the first verse of Luke 17. We have a command to forgive, and then we have a parable of an unprofitable servant. And I, I think you'll just see how, where Luke is going and how he's arranging these events and, and stories and teachings to make a point to Theophilus and all subsequent readers of this book. Look at verse 1 of Luke chapter 17. Reading from the New King James Version, Then he said to his disciples, to the disciples, It is impossible that no offense, offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they, be, they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung about around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. We'll pause there for just a moment. Lord, open up our hearts and minds through the passage that we've just read and the ones that follow for the glory of Christ and that we might be more profitable servants in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, a quick note to the response of the disciples in verse 5. They heard that and that seemed very, very hard to them. And their response was, we need more faith because this is tough stuff. This is tough stuff. The idea of someone offending me, committing a sin against me seven times in a day, and each time he comes back and says, uh, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. And we're supposed to forgive that person. In another passage, Peter thought he was being really spiritual by saying, Lord, shall I forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus said, what? Seventy times seven. Um, or some might think it as... Um, uh, 77 times. But wherever the times goes, it's a lot. And the idea is that there's not supposed to be a limit on it and the, and the amount that we can forgive. We're not to place a limit on our forgiveness. You've expired, you know, your limit, uh, you know, your statute of limitations is over now. <laughs> You're past that. We're not supposed to do that to people. But the, the disciples, the apostles said, the issue here for us is we need more faith. Lord, increase our faith. Give us more faith. But I would argue today, based upon this and the following passages, the issue is not that we need more faith. We just need more obedience. We just need to do it. We don't need more faith to figure it all out and see why this person might deserve it. And uh, we just need to do it. And maybe if your obedience requires more faith on your part, so be it. But the issue is not the disciples didn't have enough faith. It's that they struggled with obeying this. They struggled with doing what Christ has said. So let me suggest to you in this passage, there are two levels of servanthood. Two levels. One involves uh, the head and the hands, and that's your basic level. But the second level is the next notch up, and that involves my head and my hands and my heart. And the disciples are struggling with that element of going to not just head and hands, but to the heart. So we have Luke presenting in an orderly way uh, this idea of forgiveness 
and servanthood, and even at the end, this amazing gift of gratitude. So level one is do what's required. Do what's required and just do it. You know, just do it. First of all, uh, let's go down to verse six. Then the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. See what Jesus is saying? He said, no, you don't need more faith. If you just have a teeny little mount, you can do wonderful things. You can do great things. You can even forgive someone who sins against you seven times in a day. Verse 7, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field? Okay, in this illustration, you're the master, you have a servant. He's out there taking care of the sheep. Or he's plowing the field. He comes in uh, to sit down, and you say to him, Come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather, would you not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk? And afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. This idea of being unprofitable is given in this illustration where he tells his disciples, okay, pretend you're, you're a master in your household and you have some servants. And one comes in, he's hot and tired, and he just goes to the fridge and he gets out all the food and he's going to sit down and have, have a meal. Uh, but it's, it's supper time. Would you, as the master, say, no, 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 first you have to serve the master. That's what you're supposed to do. And, um, and let's suppose the servant says, oh, right, I forgot, I was really hungry. No, right. All right, so, and he goes back in the kitchen, he prepares a meal, and he brings it all out to you. Uh, would you say, oh, thank you so much for feeding me today. And, and, uh, and, and I'm going to give you a bonus in your pay pack. That was wonderful. I just can't get over it. We're going to make you employee of the month. We really appreciate all you did, making me this meal. And I'm just make a real big fuss over him. Would you do that? Jesus says, no, you wouldn't. He says, I think not. Why? Because that was what he was supposed to do. When you follow your job description and you do exactly what it says and no more, you don't normally make, uh, you know, the employee of the month men, uh, photograph or, or, or get some special recognition or special honorary uh, letters from the boss or a special gift card. Not normally. And maybe you've, you've worked with people like this who, who, are, who live by the contract. The contract says I can do this. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not going to come any earlier. I'm not going to leave any later. I'm going to do exactly what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to get out of here. Because that's what I'm, I'm just coming to get paid. I'm coming for the paycheck and I'm going out of there. Maybe you've worked with people. Maybe you've been like that on occasion. Maybe it's been kind of discouraging. Maybe you've just really tired out. Maybe you feel like you're being taken advantage of. And so you get to this idea of I'm just going to do what's required. Uh, then I won't get into trouble. All right. I don't care if I don't get anything, bonuses or special recognition. I'm just going to do what I, I'm required to get my paycheck and get out of there. Jesus says an employee who does that all appealed to Jesus, all obeyed Christ's command to go to the priests. And all were healed. All of them, all ten, had those exact same things. All seven things happened to them. But only one was profitable to God. Only one did more than he was commanded. Now we get to the second level. To do more than is required. Level one, just do what you're told. Just do what you're told. You know, if most people did that today, we'd have a lot less trouble in our world. People just do what they're supposed to do, right? But in, this, in the army of Christ, in his service... God wants us to not only do what we're supposed to do, but to do more than is required. 
And so look at verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Do more than required. Why? Because God's worked in your life. Why did he turn back? He turned back because he had been healed and he saw that. And he knew who was responsible for his healing. He also turns back because of the Lord's worth. The Lord's worth. In the mind of the other nine, it was more important to get that pronouncement of cleansed, being cleansed and get back into life. But for this one, the worth of his healer was far more important than the time it would take to go back and thank Jesus and then to go see the priest. You see, a servant sees Christ as worthy. I do what I do because I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I do what I do because this is what God wants me to do. A servant doesn't have to struggle with that, but I want to do what I want to do. Now I've left servanthood. Now I've left humble service to the Savior. The servant can say, I'm doing what he wants me to do, and now that I've received his blessing, I'm going back to thank him right away. Thank him right away. Notice what he does. It says he glorified God. To glorify means to magnify, to cause other people to think better of someone. You can praise, another, you can praise one another. You can praise a person. I want you to think better of this person here because of what he did. Let me tell you about it. That's a good thing. Let another man praise thee. Now, if that guy goes around and says, I want you to think better about me. Let me tell you what I've been doing. Now we've got a problem. But let another man praise you. And there, this man is praising God. How's he doing it? With a loud voice. A loud voice. See, he was willing to do like the uh, optician did when he fell into the lens grinder. He made a spectacle of himself. And uh, so that's what this guy's doing right here. He's making a real scene. He's making a big scene, and he doesn't care who hears. With a loud voice, he's praising God. You can probably hear him coming a long way off. He was already a long way off, making his way to the priest. Now he's coming to approach Jesus. He knows he's clean. He humbles himself. It says he fell down. Um, That's the main verb. He fell down, and then the giving him thanks is what we call a participle. That's modifying the main verb. So how does he fall down? He falls down giving thanks. He falls down giving uh, Eucharisteo, giving thanks, saying a good thing, uh, to giving, giving praise, giving thanks. He fell down on his face at his feet, prone, completely face down on his whole body. He didn't care about the dust on the road. He didn't care about the dirt in his face. He fell down at the one who had healed him. That's how a servant is. A servant can humble himself, can fall completely down and say, I have nothing to lose. I have no dignity that I'm trying to keep... Uh, people thinking well of me, I'm just going to fall right flat on my face, right in the dirt, at his feet. And did Jesus reject that worship? No. Another proof of his divinity. He always accepted worship. He never said like the angel told John on Patmos, no, 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 don't bow down to me. You worship God. He didn't do that. He didn't do like Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 we're, we're not gods. We're not Zeus and Hermes. No, no, we're fellow men like you. Listen to our message. Worship the Lord Jesus. Let, me, let us preach to you about him. But the big shocker, Luke saves to the very end. And perhaps Theophilus would have known about this rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. Samaritans were considered immoral. They were considered traitors because after the resettlement of Israel, after Babylonian captivity, the Jews that were remaining there in northern Israel intermarried with the Gentiles. 
uh, a forbidden thing under Mosaic law. And they were considered dirty and unclean and not worthy to have business with, not to sell with. Uh, they would rather sell to Gentiles than to the Samaritans. They were considered um, the, the lowest of the low. And Luke says, this one who returned was a Samaritan. The implication is perhaps he was the only one among that group who was a Samaritan. And he comes and he falls down before him. The one you least expected. The one that the Jews despised. The one you expected to behave just like you expect riffraff to behave. You know, Samaritans. Opportunists. Just take what they get. He did the unexpected. It was unexpected that somebody would do that. And notice now that Jesus, as we wrap this message up, had something to say about this whole event with the Samaritan. He says, weren't there 10 cleansed? Didn't I just clean 10 people? Maybe speaking it out loud to whoever's listening, maybe speaking it to the, the, the Samaritan, but I think he's, he's speaking it to the people that have just listened to him t- tell him about how to forgive and how to be a profitable servant. Remember what I was just teaching you guys about that? Jesus is saying. Remember about the unprofitable servant? Remember? Look at this one. I healed 10 of them. And none of them came back to worship me and to give thanks or, as he says, to glorify God. Except this foreigner. Foreigner. He would have not been allowed even to enter the temple doorway into the court of the women. There was a court of the Gentiles. He'd be okay there. But he could not get any closer to God. There was a big sign. No foreigners. No one who is not of, of Jewish ancestry will be permitted to enter beyond this gate except on pain of death. This Samaritan would not have been allowed to worship God with the Jewish people. Court of the Gentiles as far as he could get. And yet now here is Jesus saying he outperformed the Jewish people. He outperformed the elect of God, the chosen people. He, he, he outperformed them all in his worship. And this is exactly what God wants of us. He wants us to be so committed in gratitude for what he's done for us that we do what's maybe unexpected. We do the things that bring glory to God. Notice what Jesus says. God's glory has been has been diminished by 90%. Because only one of the 10 came back. 10% of those who should have glorified God came and actually did so. And 90% did not. And yet, in the eyes of Christ, this was a profitable servant. We made a profit here. How can you lose 90% and make a profit? It doesn't make sense. But in God's plan, it does. He is profitable. And then he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. Uh, the word there of well is elsewhere used as saved. Your faith has saved you. He wanted to be cleansed of his leprosy, but he found he was cleansed of sin, cleansed of everything. See, when we do for Jesus what he does not command, he blesses us with that for which we would not ask. When Solomon asked for wisdom only, God gave him wealth and esteem and prestige. When Ruth 
simply wanted to stay with Naomi, God blessed her with being made a part of the line of, of the Messiah. When Joseph, even in prison, said, I'm just going to serve God wherever I am. I'm going to help the prisoners out. God made him second in command of all of Egypt. And when Job, for explanations we don't have, remained true when all others turned against God, God blessed him with returning everything he had, twice as much. When we do for Jesus what he does not command, he blesses us with that for which we would not ask. The second level of servanthood is serving God not with just our head, not with just being busy with our hands, but with our heart. And we're ready to give God the glory whenever an opportunity arises. Christian, your, your faith was required for you to be saved. And in faith, you trusted in Christ as your Savior. But that faith is supposed to carry you now into a level of service that meets the level of service of this Samaritan. That we are willing to forget ourselves, to humble ourselves, and to give praise to God, and to do more than we're expected, and receive the the Heavenly Father's smile upon us. I want to challenge you to be willing to go the extra mile in your life. That when they want to take away your outer garment, you give them your outer garment and your tunic as well. You give more. You do that which is unexpected. If you're here today as a non-believer, you haven't yet put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ. The only hope that I could give you is to find him your Savior, to turn from your sin, to recognize that on your own you can never make it to heaven. On your own you can never be good enough. On your own and on my own and on the, on the own of all these people here that are here that know Christ, we could never make it there on our own merits. Utter failures. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We fall short. We don't meet the standards. We don't meet the expectations. But by turning to Christ in faith, we have the righteousness of Jesus applied to our account. And that's how we can be saved. By the perfect life and the sacrificial death of our Savior. If you'd like to know what it means to become one of his followers, I hope that you'll stay around after our service concludes and and talk with someone here. Let us show you from an open Bible what it means to become a believer, to have a home in heaven waiting for you that no one can ever take away, to have peace with God, to have rest in your heart. We're all like these lepers until Christ comes in, hopeless, helpless, without God in the world. But in Christ, we are made joint heirs with Jesus Christ. A home prepared for us that he's preparing for us right now. A gift of his spirit to walk with us and guide us in this present life. The body of believers around us to encourage us and the word of God to guide us and show us the path. If you need to know Christ as your savior today, please stay and talk with us about that. Let us close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gratitude that erupts from a humble servant's heart. Lord, we're so quick to take credit for our own doings. We're so quick to want to make us look better. But Lord, we all need a healthy dose of humility. A willing to say, Lord, we are unprofitable servants. On our own, we can do nothing to please you, Father. But through Christ and the power of the Spirit working in our hearts, we can make decisions. We can choose to do more than is required. 
And Lord, as we enter this holiday season, perhaps we'll look for opportunities to do that, to do the more than is required. Maybe an extra phone call, a letter, a visit, meeting a need in a special way that we hadn't done before. Lord, to do more than we're required and to not want the glory for it, to not want the credit for it, not to brag about it, but to give all the glory to Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be, as Jesus told us in Matthew's gospel, people that let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify, to magnify our Heavenly Father. May the response of our hearts be pleasing to you, Lord. Work in us, and may this passage bear fruit in every one of our hearts as we approach the Thanksgiving week and as we celebrate the coming of our Messiah as a baby in Bethlehem. Glorify yourself in the responses of all of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll continue with our evening service. Brief item of business for the church members. And um, wish each a, a blessed, ha- happy Thanksgiving week. And hope we, you'll come out for the prayer and pie service, 6.30, Tuesday evening. Bring a pie or don't bring a pie. Just come on out and enjoy some fellowship together. God bless you. You're dismissed.